Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. Fact check this podcast, and today I've got Mark Metz. I enjoy reading Mark's Substack. He re- writes on a number of different topics and uh, social or current event type stuff. So, Mark, why don't you kind of tell everybody who you are and what you do, a little bit of background on your Substack, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. First of all, Jason or Justin, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just called you the wrong name. Look, uh, <laughs> so. When I was in college at Mississippi State, I worked for the women's basketball team. And literally the entire season, the the head coach called me Jason. And one day, one of the assistant coaches got mad at her. She goes, Sharon, his name is Justin. And she looked at me and she goes, is that right? Is your name Justin? I was like, yes, ma'am. She's like, I am so sorry. Literally the next day, she was right back to calling me Jason. So like, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So like you said, I'm uh, Mark Metz. I run a Substack. Um, it's just called the Emergent Newsletter. Um, I guess you could say that it started off or it still is mostly like libertarian material, although I have kind of entered. I know people don't like the the whole post-libertarian phase, but my writing has entered that phase, whether we want to call it something else, Praxian or whatever. Um, how I like became libertarian or started kind of following those politics is pretty normal for for a lot of a lot of people who kind of get into the whole like right-wing anarchist right-wing libertarian sphere started off conservative kind of move even like sort of neocon moved to like constitutional conservative then the whole 2016 phenomenon happens um i was actually like vehemently like anti-trump during 2016 um, actually became a little bit more sympathetic to him toward like during his administration. Um, I st- like, uh, like I said, I wasn't like for Trump and then I started to look into like libertarians and whatnot. And so I found, uh, Austin Peterson, first of all, because I was pro-life and Austin Peterson was the one pro-life candidate during that, during that race. Um, and that kind of led me down the, the trail to, unfortunately, like Cato and <laughs> like the reason types at first, like one of the first libertarian books I read was David Bose's Libertarian Mind, I believe it was. And I read that and I was like, OK, this this definitely isn't me. And fortunately, I found like Tom Woods and Dave Smith and like the Mises Institute and those guys. But that's kind of a brief introduction of like how my writing got to where. It was at the beginning, and now after, I guess, some like just observing the world and what happened over the past year and a half, I'm not so, uh, I guess, married to the philosophy of libertarianism. I would say that I still like believe a lot of the things that, that libertarians have to say, but um, yeah, just kind of in a, in the desert, wandering around politically right now. I think I, I was actually on a podcast with Adam Patrick a few, like a month ago and off the cuff, I said, well, the more I become like pure in my like physical life, spiritual life, I'm becoming more politically impure. And I was like, that sounds even worse than post-libertarianism, but whatever. I'll just say that I'm politically impure right now, but trying to, trying to find what works best, for what we're dealing with. Uh, I'm a full on anarchist who's just playing nice with the Mises caucus because I, I actually like what they're promoting. Like that's, that's, that's kind of where I am. Like my entire, uh, my entire involvement in the political process is because I heard about the Mises caucus and I really like what they're doing. I like the fact that they seem to be like what libertarianism is supposed to be. And mm-hmm. because the, you know, as far as the libertarian party, like the political party, 
I had absolutely no use for them. Uh, I, right. I like the ideas of libertarianism, but when I looked at the party, I was like, yeah, that's, that's hot garbage. I don't want anything to do with that. So right. like, I've always been very anarchist, but uh, now that I've seen the, the Mises caucus, I was like, okay, if these are the people that are going to be running it, like I'll get behind that. And as long as like, I'll support that, but you know, I'm, I'm always going to default to uh, anarchy at the end of the day. Like, no matter who wins, I'm still going to be for destroying the whole thing and just moving into full anarchy. And okay. I know you've written a little bit about uh secession and some other ideas like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the topic of anarchy, uh, exp- cause I've tried to explain it, but I-, I think from some of your writing, you may be a little more eloquent than I am. Explain what anarchy means from like the libertarian perspective. Cause I think most people, when they hear anarchy, they think more Antifa and like burning down buildings and, you know, full on just chaos and stupidity, which for, you know, for my beliefs and definition of anarchy, that's not even remotely close. Like, uh, and, and for most libertarian anarchists, that's not what they would propose is, true anarchy so let's Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit okay so um would you say you're kind of anarchist are you talking like uh like malice's whole like me and you right now are in an anarchist relationship type type philosophy right is that kind of what you're coming at yeah coming from yeah okay and so i think that most of like the mises caucus guys would probably describe themselves as ancaps um when i i think of like and Kapistan, I don't actually, like, I don't think of the United States, let's say, the whole landmass being <laughs> this whole like, community of Ankapistan, right? Like, I think of maybe, like, pockets of Ankapistan, and then you probably would have even some, like, anarcho-communist covenants as well sprinkled in. And then I think of, like, all right, well, this is, like, this is panarchy, right? Um, so it, it's it's... like the purest form of the radical decentralization where you might have like a monarchist city, you might have Ancapistan where everything is, I don't know, HOA or whatever you want to call your form of Ancapistan. You have a commune where you have a bunch of uh, hippies like smoking weed and actually free trading with the Ancapistan people in their own little private property, even though they probably wouldn't call it that. Um, So that's, I guess that's what I think of when I think of libertarian anarchy. Is yeah, that and kind of where you come from too? That's that 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 almost like to a T kind of put it the way I've tried to explain it because like I I honestly think the ANCOMs might like have the purest form of libertarian society in mind, but the problem mm-hmm. is that most of the like hardcore ANCOMs think that like they need to force that on everybody. It's like okay, right, like right. Go, go have your commune and it'll work perfect if you like if y'all make it work. But don't try to like make that the broad overreaching like has to apply to everybody because that's the, mm-hmm. the, the there's no way everybody's getting on board with it. Uh but like I, I really I think they have they may have the purest idea as far as that goes, but their uh their implementation desire seems to be way too authoritarian. <laughs> Right. And like I was saying, like if they had their own commune, I don't know how big of their space would be, but they're going to starve to death unless they like branch out of that commune and trade with the other communities that might not be as communist as they are. So yeah, I guess yeah, that's, how, I mean, that's how they survive, which if they want to do that, that's fine with me. Um, so I guess that would, that would describe my own like sort of politics right now is this whole, like this idea of um, panarchy. When I think of like, I don't think of that as something that's feasible, like anytime soon, I guess. Um, And then when I also think of anarchy versus like monarchy, this phrase was like running around in my head the other day. It was like, well, the fewer people, calling the shots means that the less shots need to be taken as far as (laughs) taking, taking out the bad leaders. Right. So is anarchy nobody calling shots or is it everybody calling shots? So if it's pockets, like we're talking about, then yeah, you're going to have certain people within these different covenants, you know, as the, the leaders of each covenant or whatever, but how, uh, uh, one reason I don't like get too far into the dis- discussion is like, I don't know. That seems so far down the road at this point. And so 
like I'm thinking about radical decentralization. I listened to your interview with uh, Jose Galison. I think I got his name right, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was talking about like soft secession. And I think that there is going to have to be some sort of like incrementalism towards the sort of system that we're talking about. And if that means decentralized as far as like the United States as separate states or whatever, and maybe even possibly centralize the power within each state. So like you have in Florida, I think Florida is better off if DeSantis just named himself King at this point, like forget the, forget the Congress of Florida or whatever. Right. So decentralize and then centralize, if that makes any sort of sense so that you kind of know who's running things and then move from there. Yeah. You have to, I think for anything to work, uh, large scale, it can't particularly be that large of a scale. Like it, mm-hmm. it'll have to be, uh, yeah, de- decentralized centralization. Uh, yeah. like it's still something, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now, but I, it's something I've just been going well, around pe- in my head people, lately. Yeah. People crave, which is something that Andrew, uh, who does Popular Liberty, uh, talks about, you know, is you know, people crave structure and safety mm. and that kind of thing. For as much as like, I have no desire for that. I would like to move off into the woods and never see another soul other than my wife and maybe my kids for the rest of my life like not everybody is on board with that in fact 98 percent of the people probably that would be just an absolute hellish nightmare for them and they need that support and they need that structure and so like if desantis just said all right we are shutting off the borders florida is going to be its own sovereign nation state and i am king he would probably have enough support to make that a reality especially at this point with the way the pandemic's been handled. Uh, Right. And I might try to move there, to be honest. (laughs) You know, I'll go live under this king because I agree with him on most things. So more than my king, my queen here in uh, Michigan, who is awful, but. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that's a whole, that's a whole can of worms into itself. So so let's talk about the Trump thing. Cause that, excuse me, that's, that's interesting. I was not, I wasn't a particularly big Trump fan myself. I, uh, I was a Ben Carson guy uh, in the 2016 for the, as far as the Republican side went, like Gary Johnson was just horrible uh, as a libertarian. So I I really just kind of checked out on that. And Ben Carson was the one that I was kind of had support of, or was the one that I liked the most from the Republican side. And then, uh, Obviously, the Republican Party is never going to actually let a a black person be uh, their candidate. So as it was moving towards Trump, I uh, I wasn't particularly a fan, but I did enjoy the way he kind of carried himself out uh, throughout the entire process. So, yeah, like Trump was really entertaining and he was I enjoyed the way he was kind of carrying himself and conducting his campaign. Uh, He was like I was kind of in the same boat as you. Like I, I wasn't really a supporter. I didn't at all think he was a good candidate, but like if you're going to have a bad candidate, they should at least be entertaining. And he was right, definitely right. that. So, so like what was kind of, cause you said, and, and I was kind of in the same boat. Like I, I wasn't a particularly a supporter, but as he got into his presidency, I kind of not necessarily came around to maybe liking him as much as mm-hmm. I could kind of see what, maybe the goal was even if it was like piss poorly executed and usually didn't make it anywhere like you could still kind of see uh what was going on so like let's talk about that a little bit like what was it about the trump that uh maybe not necessarily got you over to his side but at least you could see some value in what was going on yeah so yeah 2016 was still fun at the same time um i think the biggest thing I still believe sort of in the whole sacred of democracy that we had in 2016. <laughs> so that's sort of where I was like this constitutional, um, like, I mean, Rand Paul was actually my guy going in. So I still, I was already developing that, that libertarian streak. Um, but yeah. I, I, and then in, like, I guess a couple of years into the whole, the whole Trump thing, I started, started to see how it wasn't, uh, we're not necessarily uh, like a, the media isn't 
controlled by the government. It's the complete opposite. Like, and we have a, what is it, a media controlled state, right? And I've started to become more and more aware to that and seeing how much the media just absolutely despised Trump told me that he had at least some of the right enemies. Um, and sort of this is anti-establishment um, glitch kind of happens in 2016, I think. I don't think Trump was supposed to win in 2016. And you saw that within a four years, they tried everything, literally everything came out. And I mean, they did. I mean, they finally succeeded in November of last year with all the shenanigans went on with that election. So <laughs> I guess it was kind of this anti-establishment streak that started to get me to come around to why um, people would support him. And then also I, like most of my family are like MAGA type Republicans. And especially like last year, I came to appreciate them a lot because they even differed from Trump even more so on the whole issue of like COVID. Like a month in, my family's like back to doing normal stuff here while everyone else is like locking themselves in their rooms. So I think it's a it's kind of a like that thing where Jeffersonians aren't as good as or Jefferson wasn't as great as the Jeffersonians. I think the Trumpers are actually better than Trump himself. And I would like to I'm aligning myself more with these types of people because I was able to have a pretty normal 2020, unlike some people. On the topic of of COVID and Trump's handling of that, do you think if he had come out from the get-go and kind of taken the DeSantis approach of we're going or you know the Sweden approach of at the end of that two weeks to flatten the curve just be like okay like we did this it's not gonna do anything so we're gonna go back to business as usual and we're gonna open the world up and we're gonna we're gonna carry on with life and Mm -hmm. disease is gonna do what disease do or Disease, this disease is going to do what diseases typically do, and we're mm-hmm. going to let it happen. And we'll see how, you know, we'll see how this works instead of, uh, I mean, because whether he intended it or not, he did definitely do his fair share of the fear mongering and the panic porn and, you know, the dumb wishy-washy back and forth shit that if he'd come out just right out, right out the gate, taking a hard stance of, we tried the two weeks to flatten the curve. Nothing happened. We're going back to business as usual. We can't just stay locked down at infinitum. Do you think that would have had a an impact on the 2020 election or maybe the way he was viewed in general? It's kind of a tough question because I don't... I think that he won the 2020 election, so... <laughs> Maybe he would have won by a larger margin. I'm sorry if this gets you kicked off of YouTube. <laughs> uh, I don't care. Um, it was a, yeah, I don't know. I guess the answer is I don't know if it would have made that big of a difference because I think he was going, whoever the Democrats nominated, which I guess Biden was almost nominated by that time. Um, so Biden was going to be installed as president in January, no matter how Trump responded to covid I think, um, but yeah, because I, I going back to like election night was at like two o'clock in the morning, and Trump's got a lead in all of these, all of these battleground states, and I don't, I don't understand libertarians who are like, well, I'm not sure what happened. It was like at the moment that they stopped counting votes, I was like, well, yeah, of course this is what they did. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course they're stopping votes because. There, there's some sort of plan that they have to enact while we're sleeping at night. And then we wake up and Trump's losing all these states. <laughs> I mean, and, I'm, and I've got it bookmarked. I mean, they even put out a time magazine article detailing how they went about it more or less. Like I, I can't but, believe, I can't believe that that article is actually still up where you can pull it up and read it. Like I, I fully expected that that would be, uh, you know, ministry of truth scrubbed uh, right. by this point. It, like, it, I think it's just kind of like, yeah, of course, of course, we we rigged it. What are you going to do about it? It was for your, it was for your own good, for the sake of democracy. Like, I don't know how else to view it other than that, right? Okay, so let's talk about that because that uh, you talked about that in 2020, you still kind of believed in the sanctity of 
the no, establishment. Uh, 26, 2016. Yeah, 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 16. Uh, you still kind of believed in the sanctity of, you know, the establishment of democracy. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about democracy now? And <laughs> elaborate on that a little bit, because I, I didn't vote for many, 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 many years. Uh, I voted in I voted for the uh, Constitution Party candidate in 2016 just for shits and giggles as a write-in. And uh, mm-hmm. oddly enough, my vote was not counted, uh, which really pissed me off. Like, it would have, there should have been one, you know, write-in vote for my county, and there were zero. Because uh, I, I looked at the voting registry and what was counted, and my vote was not counted. So that really pissed me off. Uh, but, like, prior to that, I hadn't voted since 2004. Four, um, so I, I voted in sixteen, just a write-in vote for shits and giggles, and uh, and I, I I voted in twenty twenty because I, I did actually kind of get involved, uh, especially with the Libertarian Party that we had running, uh, the candidate that we had running here in Indiana. So because I was getting involved, I, I went ahead and voted in twenty twenty. But I haven't had a lot of faith in the uh, institution of democracy for m- maybe any of my adult life. So explain kind of the the process of uh that you you know you had that and then kind of where you are now yeah so i did i also did vote in 2020 and i voted in the the general election i voted for trump i'm not like ashamed to say that and (laughs) one of the reasons i did is i wasn't making like any sort of leeway with my friends and family who were MAGA republicans right like i'm talking to them from encapistan in my head as pq likes to say and they're, I mean, I'm just like talking over them. They don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what ANCAP, what an ANCAP is or what anarcho-capitalism would, would even like look like. So I, I voted for Trump and I have actually been able to <laughs> have like better political conversations with, um, with my family like since then. But as for like democracy itself, I mean, number one, it's the God that failed. If I want to like, <laughs> cool, cool. Hoppe, one of my favorite books, definitely an eye opener. Um, I do think that like local democracy could actually, I mean, I, I don't believe in mass democracy, but let's say that we did have like this system where you've got a governor like DeSantis and Florida doesn't have like the whole state of Florida, um, like a Congress for the whole state of Florida, but let's say they have like city and county democracy. And this is, I think this is something that um, could work. I think the smaller that you kind of make it and the more like community or oriented and localized that you make it, it could work. But I'm still like, as like a system itself or the philosophy itself, I'm not like a huge fan of it, but I would understand in our ideal world of like panarchy, if people had city slash county democracy or something like that. So I guess that's where I'm at now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So, so it would, uh, and which that's, that's kind of what you see. Uh, large scale democracy is always mm-hmm. doomed to fail because of kind of what you see now. I mean, honestly, maybe, maybe not to the extent that it is now, but yeah. this country was kind of founded on what democracy always ends up being anyway. It's, it becomes <laughs> like this group of elites who, always have power and yeah. you know the founding fathers to some extent were that anyway but mm-hmm. but not anywhere near what it is now and and their you know their founding intent was not for it to become what it has become either like mm-hmm. they they didn't want it to be that Cl- very clearly they didn't want it to be that uh but yeah that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the it's... way you always see it it devolves into rome and we are Rome, like this is this is where we've gone. Uh, history, yeah. history repeats okay. itself. No, I, I, that's a good point, and I, I sort of still have like this romantic view for like the political culture of the United States, I guess, and not necessarily like the Constitution or whatever, but more like Articles of Confederation, what was like originally set up. Um, and I understand like the point that like the neo-reactionary folks make about how we'd be more free if we, if the revolution didn't happen or if we still were like under the British monarchy or whatever. Like I get where they're coming from with that, but I still understand like the whole idea of the revolution and like creating like a, a sovereign, not a sovereign state, a so- sovereign states. Um, have you read uh, Albion Seed? Mm-mm, no. 
So it's a, it's a pretty like thick book. I first heard about it on the Brian McClanahan show. I don't know if you've ever listened to him. A little bit. Yeah. Um, he, or this book is about like the four British folkways that came to like America, like pre-revolution. Like this is like the founding of America and what you had were obviously like the Quakers in like the Pennsylvania area. You had uh, the Puritans in the New England area. You had the borderland folks who settled like the Carolinas and Tennessee. And then you had like the Virginia aristocracy, obviously in like Virginia and parts of Maryland. Um, and how they like formed the four uh, dominant cultures of America pre-revolution and, and also following the revolution. Um, and what they had were, I mean, it was sort of like panarchy in itself. Like you had a, not a disinterested monarch necessarily, but a distant one. Obviously he couldn't like give them edicts because he's like across the sea uh, other than, you know, like, I mean, they come like way later or whatever. So you, you had that like this distant monarch and then you had sort of like the, the like the localized democracy. So like the pure, I mean, the Puritans were, a pretty like strict group right and the quakers were too and they didn't always like get along until like the, the revolution happens they're not like getting along but they kind of like all combined together and then afterwards they still formed the government um around those sort of four folkways and then the whole constitutional coup happened and <laughs> we have what we have now and i'm not saying the constitution was like i know people like say it's an awful document i think it was the people who uh like wrote it although i don't agree with all of what they believed in and everything like i think those elites are definitely way smarter and way better than the ones that we have now so good attempt right and it, yeah I, I definitely agree with that like they 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 had an idea of what they wanted it to be and mm-hmm. i think perhaps it was naive uh yeah. for people as educated as them to not understand kind of how history works and and the way those types of things always eventually end up going uh like the, it may have been a little bit naive but yeah they were also caught up in the moment of you know their own revolution and what they were doing so they they probably didn't necessarily think that far ahead uh because they, they you know they saw their own uh their own coming of age more or less so right. so yeah, yeah. I, i'm kind of with you like i, I enjoy the constitution I, i've really uh I like the ideas that it was founded on, even if the ideas weren't necessarily established in uh, historical reality. Yeah, I don't know how popular liberty puts it. He puts it pretty well. How it puts like a low, it put a low time preference on the the something of power. I can't remember how he puts it. He he explains it pretty well. So, and I more or less agree with his conclusion there. Yeah. So, okay. Um, with kind of pushing ahead on that. Uh, because like so where where do you kind of see that it starts to delineate away from what the founding fathers had kind of intended with the ideas of the constitution cuz like it was it was very very clear to anybody who reads reads it and and understands it like it was supposed to be a limited government like very very limited government uh, so at what point historically does it deviate from like that intent was it was it Lincoln or was it before that or was it because uh, it like it feels like Lincoln was kind of the catalyst but mm-hmm. it had there that, that that had to have been building before that like he 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 definitely didn't just come up with that even even in yeah. the heat of the Civil War like he didn't just come up with that right yeah and I I recently read a biography on Andrew Jackson and he was. Andrew Jackson kind of gets a bad rap for a lot of things. And also he, I mean, what he did with the native Americans, it wasn't so great. There are parts of like Andrew Jackson that like his whole like anti central bank message was great. We should have listened to that. Um, But he was also like vehemently against secession. So he's speaking about, he's speaking against secession in like the thirties, right. Which is 30 years before Lincoln comes about. And even maybe one of like libertarians favorite presidents uh jefferson kind of bypassed the the constitution to add all that all the land from the louisiana purchase right so i can't we can't blame it all on lincoln i'm no fan of lincoln but i don't know i don't know that you can say that there's one point in history i think it's sort of a gradual thing which kind of brings you to the the quote of either it allowed it to happen or it wasn't powerful to stop what we have now to happen. Right. 
but it was low tie parameters as uh, as popular liberty puts it. And that's so that's what's funny about the Constitution and like thinking about the maybe the short sighted or naivety of uh, of that kind of that founding document is that's kind of the the same deal with like uh, the Communist Manifesto and like the purest mm-hmm. forms of communism if you if you could think about it in you know in that term is like communism as a as an idea and I know there are people who would probably shit all over me for saying this like communism as an idea isn't necessarily a bad idea like if you look at it on its face there is some intrinsic value to it but it completely like the the idea of communism as a whole on large scale application it completely ignores the way power works in human society in that like okay that sounds like a great idea but if you've got more than 50 people and even you know even with that many people uh eventually people who have power or the desire for power are going to rise to the top of that structure and then they're going to turn it into a thing that works for them and with communism like it's even worse than than uh a democratic republic in that like once you're at that power point, like there's not a, uh, there's not a good way to usurp those people. Like they're there. Right. Right. Yeah. And I go like back and like, this is kind of like one of the, the positives of monarchy is they don't really care about what, what the laws on the book say. They're going to go with what they're, what, what, where the political winds are shifting or, like go with what their their will is, and um, so I mean, I'm, on one hand, that's bad. Like you got pretty much a dictator. On the other hand, like I said, you're one shot away from putting someone else in there who maybe maybe will represent the will of the quote unquote people or the community better than the guy the previous guy did. And you're not really kind of beholden to that piece of paper necessarily. If that makes sense. And, and, and sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's negative. But like I said, the fewer shots need to be taken, the fewer people calling the shots. Well, you had made an interesting point earlier. Uh, and, and again, it's probably something that's controversial or you know would be. But are we necessarily better off under the Constitution than we would have been if we had you know, remained under, king, under King's rule and uh, the monarchy of England? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at... India, Hong Kong, uh, different occupied territories that were far away from England. Because, you know, I mean, England's a little tiny island. Like, they, with not an exceptional military force, even, you know, even at the time of their highest power, like, they were extremely spread out. Uh, Hong Kong was a wildly successful place prior to... uh, the English giving that up, and now it's like under constant uh, barrage of China and everything else. Like, arguably, uh, Hong Kong was better off being under the rule of of Great Britain. Um, South Africa, India. I mean, it could be made. There could be a decent argument made that you know these places were better off under. English rule uh, because they were, even though they were, you know, English territories, they were so disconnected from it that they could be extremely successful while still having the, you know, the protection of, of the crown more, more or less. Mm-hmm. But so like there, there, I mean, that's, that's a, there's a good argument to be made there, it, especially on like a, you know, on a smaller scale, like, I don't know if it would work for, the entirety of something the size of the United States as it is now, but at the right. time of the American Revolution, you know, it was the East Coast. It, it, it wasn't. The- right. Yeah. No. And I, I understand like the neo reaction, like, um, just their kind of reasoning there. But like I said, like I understand also how the people of that time. The I know like the the revolution was the elites of the colonies right i can understand how they wanted to be their own sovereign um set of states um but let's not be like 
I, I think it's kind of naive to think that they did that because they necessarily wanted it to be more free. It was more they wanted it to be more sovereign so that they could run things the way that they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I guess, like I said, with the uh, you know the downfall of communism, anytime uh, the people in power have a have an opportunity to consolidate their power, they're going to do it to the detriment of everybody else. Uh, I, you know, like, there's no reason to expect that the founding fathers were, uh, you know, weren't susceptible to that same type of thing. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. So you mentioned Brave New World. Or not Brave New. I'm looking at Brave New World. <laughs> you, you mentioned that one right up there. Democracy, the God that failed, uh, and and talking about. So this is a really controversial topic because you did write about this kind of stuff in. Uh, I think it was maybe your maybe not the most recent uh, blog post, but or, but one of them that was within the last week, um, where you talked about the libertarian movement and you did talk about like the open borders stuff and Hoppe. You might explain it better than I do. Hoppe takes a very uh, controversial, as far as libertarians go, position on borders and mm-hmm. uh, segregation and all of that kind of stuff. So, like, let's talk about that a little bit because I think that is excellent uh, and is the only way that Ancapistan would actually work uh, mm-hmm. is to kind of take that Hoppian approach. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, think of like priorities, I guess, like these like open border libertarians, like, are they trying, it's like they're trying to create the entire or make the entire world into their own like libertarian utopia, when we can't even like, we got like Rhode Island can't even get their shit together, right? So first of all, let's like focus small first, and then we can move outward. And then I think things are so like chaotic in the United States right now. I don't think anyone can dispute that point. And I don't understand how having like free flowing immigration or even open borders, God forbid, would help us be able to create, I guess, the order that we need to be able to fix the own issues that we have. And I know saying things like create order, fix issues sounds like government, fine. (laughs) Sometimes you gotta create, like you were talking about structure, you gotta have structure first and then build the plan from there. And just like focus it, and then it seems it almost seems like like neocon stuff too when people are talking about open borders because this is the whole thing of like it's kind of like a cousin to the idea spreading the idea about democracy worldwide. It's like libertarians want to spread this idea of liberty, liberty, capital L liberty worldwide when we can't even like get it here in our own home. And so, I mean, to to quote Jordan Peterson, make your own bed first, and then and then branch out. Uh, so that's something that uh, I think is interesting about the ideas of like, natural anarchy in the way that it would work is it's not going to be in, in all like practical application. It's not going to be open borders. It's not going to be just free moving everything. It, it's not going to be no rules and no structure. In fact, mm-hmm. if anything, if it, if it actually works effectively, it's probably going to be pockets that there are even more rules and even more segregation. And like, that's, the, the idea of the free, just completely everything's wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, it's it's going back to like, that's extremely naive and divorced reality, I guess, especially for something to be practical. Right, yeah, I agree. And uh, this is kind of out there. I, I worked, uh, I guess I, I started working at this organization um, that has like several homes in it for uh, youth. And so I worked in the, a boy's home for like seven to 12 year old boys who experienced like all kinds of neglect from the parents as abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, like all of this stuff. Um, and I did this for like six years and actually like worked my way up to like supervising the home for a year. And these, these boys would come in and they would come in from these like chaotic environments where they're like watching their their mom like have sex with her boyfriend or if their boyfriend doesn't or if they're if she doesn't have sex with her boyfriend then he's gonna beat her and then he's gonna beat the kid too because the kid might try to step in and stop their mom from getting beat up so they don't know how to function in a society and i would get into kind of arguments while i worked um in this home with like the therapist who went through their 
six years of, of schooling, but never actually had firsthand experience dealing with kids. And they'd be like, well, we got to meet them with love, or we got to do this whole love and logic thing, or we can't have consequences, or we can't say no, and all this stuff. And it's like, no, we actually have to start pretty structured with these kids. If we don't, they're going to beat each other up, and they're going to try to kill us too, which that's what happened if we were too lenient. So we would actually like try to create the most structured and ordered environment. And I know this is like a, a knock against like public school, like the whole like bell system or whatever. But for these kids, they're, they're not normal kids. They came from like what I described earlier, complete chaos. So in order for them to be able to function down the road in a normal society, like we had to actually make it more structured. And um, I see the, the state, I see the state, like I said, and I'm not saying that the state needs to come in and do anything. Like, God forbid, I don't want like a police state or surveillance state. That's kind of what we have right now anyways. But I don't appreciate a message necessarily that says do what you want so long as you harm, so long as you harm no one else. Like, especially when people like preaching this message are okay with story or drag queen story are in like public schools like that. <laughs> that creates more chaos and less order. And then the more we kind of like promote or just kind of dismiss those kinds of things and don't focus on building a better, more wholesome culture, then the more chaotic it becomes and the less likely any liberty will, will result. That kind of gets back to like what I was talking about with, you know, me wanting to move out into the woods. Like mm -hmm. some people don't necessarily need structure. Like I can get up every day and I know everything that I need to do for the day mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it. Some people, if they don't have that bell system, if they don't have that structure, if they don't have somebody that's kind of putting it all in the boxes for them so they can move from box to box and get through it, they won't. Like, they will completely catastrophically crash and burn because yeah. they, they just are not wired that way. And like even for me, as organized and structured as I am, I still make checklists because uh, at, at some point I have to also hold myself accountable for the things that I'm doing. So, uh, you know, for for an organized society, there has to be a level of structure and accountability. Otherwise, like it doesn't work, especially on a large scale. Like, like I said, like an individual, like you might be fine with absolutely no structure and you're going to still pay your bills and you're going to do everything normal that you should do without somebody like, you know, holding your hand to the fire and making you do it. But that's not the, that's not the way, you know, average. Not most people really. <laughs> um, you, yeah. You mentioned uh, Ace Arcus earlier and that, that dude like amazes me on Twitter because anyone who tries to argue with him, like he has, he's got like the logical answer. And if I ever, I would never even like attempt to debate him on, pro his like pro anarchy and me if i'm against anarchy like i would never debate him because i would lose that because he's got like the logical answer to everything the only thing that i could say is most people aren't logical and that's, that's all i got but i think it's actually a pretty big pretty big counter argument to be honest yeah so all right we're going to completely dip off into crazy land because my dad was here today and my dad's a big sci-fi guy and uh so there's a new Dune movie coming out, and then Apple has a Foundation series coming out. I don't know if you've read any Asimov or Frank Herbert or if you're into any of that kind of stuff. But uh, Sorry, can you repeat that again? I Oh, so my dad was here, and there's a new uh, Dune movie, like Frank Herbert's Dune yeah. book series. So there's a new Dune movie coming out, so we, he and I watched the trailer for that because we're both big nerds. And then uh, Apple is going to Apple TV is going to have a foundation series based on Isaac Asimov's foundation uh, novels. And dad, my dad bought me for Christmas several years ago, the entire Isaac Asimov written works, like everything that Asimov ever wrote. <laughs> dad bought me like all of those books. So I've got a whole shelf just completely dedicated to Asimov. That's awesome. So, I, uh, Oh, sorry. I've, I've not read any Asimov, but I, I'm interested in reading. I just finished Dune like I know, a couple of weeks ago. I never read Dune, and I'm I'm excited now to see the movie. I love that that book was great. And this is like, sorry. Uh, as I say, so so on the topic of you know talking about how the average person isn't structured, you should really read found, uh, Asimov's Foundation 
because the idea behind the book is, and, and the whole series, is this guy comes up with a way to basically predict the future. And it, uh, the way he does it is he looks at society through the lens of, like, you can't predict what individual people are going to do. Individual people are random and scattered, and you never know. But you can look at large groups and historic, excuse me, and historical patterns, and you can figure out what people are going to do. And so this guy, like the the whole foundation of the foundation series, is this guy basically predicts the future out for thousands of years based on looking at thousands of years of human uh, behavior, and just can look at it and say, okay, extrapolating it out, people are going to do this and they're going to do this and society's going to collapse and there's going to need to be something there to preserve society after it collapses mm-hmm. on itself because eventually humans are going to do that so like, I, I highly recommend it because it kind of gets into a lot of the stuff that we're talking about like people need structure and and that's that's like the whole basis of that entire series is looking at the way human beings as a whole interact uh, with each other and just with like through history and how that extrapolates out in Asimov's, you know, fictional universe. But uh, like, if you know, see, I I love this. I love this. That sounds amazing to me. And (laughs) this is a huge pet peeve of mine. You go to like most libertarians and you ask them like what their favorite fiction book is. They're most likely by default going to say Ayn Rand, (laughs) which fine. I've read, I'm not, I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of Rand's, fiction writing but i've read her books because i feel like every good libertarian has to read rand right um but i I just don't think that libertarians will read like all the theory in the world that read all the rothbard all the mises all this stuff which is great but read some read some damn fiction so you can understand how people work right like this is like if i heard this like quote one time it was like if politicians actually wanted to understand people they'd read more fiction and this is also this is true of libertarians specifically because we they we whatever you want to say are a little bit autistic in that it's theory only and there's no like understanding of human nature and this is why i'm like a (laughs) huge proponent of fiction and also like focusing on like cultural things so talking about that all right we're going to use this as kind of our closer but what did you think of dune as a book like talk about that a little bit uh like, because my son and I have been watching the original 1984 movie, because that was mm-hmm. the 1984 movie was what I got introduced to Dune with from my dad. Like, when I was a kid, probably younger than my son is now, we watched, I watched the original Dune movie from 1984 with my dad. And then when I got into college, I read the entire Dune series, like all six books. And, and then there was a uh, sci fi did like a, a TV show adaptation of the first three books of the Dune Dune series, which was also really good. And then when I saw this new movie was coming out, like I've been kind of explaining it to my son and showing him. So what did you think of, what did you think of the book? And especially with the way that the book is written, uh, the way it approaches politics, because there's a lot of parallels to our political culture these days to what you see in that book. Yeah, let me first say I listened to it and I do so much better when I read like the hard copy book. So I want to get the hard copy and I would be able to give you a better answer of this <laughs> once I read like the hard copy. But I got like a sense of like, it was like a strong sense of like duty in the book. Um, and that kind of stood out to me where it's like, um, I'm putting, I'm like ragging on libertarians right now. And you asked specifically about the political culture, but I think that there's like this sort of prevailing theme that libertarians are just so individualist where they're like, their duty is only to themselves and not necessarily to their community. And I got strong like senses of like Paul's whole like duty to his, both his like destiny, which is like his kind of, it's individualistic in itself, but also to his people too. And I guess there's like, there's a lack of like a marriage between community and individual that I'm seeing with, with like libertarians and 
I liked the strong like messages that I saw that saw of that in Dune. Is that my, <laughs> that, my, that was uh, good? That actually went to okay. a different. That actually went to a different part of uh, of it than what I was kind of looking at because I was okay. trying to with my son when we were looking at it and you're seeing all these different characters and he was asking questions like who's that? Why is that? Like what's up with the what's up with this bald chick and like uh, asking different questions about these different characters and so you have like the you have the imperial or the galactic Im- imperial uh the padishah emperor and he's really a figurehead like he is like the president of the united states like, he sits in a position of power but he is a figure he doesn't really have a whole lot of power he's trying to protect his position because his position gives him uh you know perceived power and it, mm-hmm. it makes him wealthy but he doesn't really have any influence and then you have this the the traveling or the uh the space guild with the the ones who uh the navigators and stuff and they're like they're like the corporate uh the corporate powerhouse that is the actual power behind the one who's you know the, behind the figurehead like they're the actual ones who are making the decisions and kind of pushing the way things go and then you have the the Bene Gesserit who are like the uh, they're kind of like the the idea of the Illuminati like they're the ones who are way behind the scenes like pulling strings and and positioning people in different places to make sure that everything kind of happens along the timeline that they want to see it work out so it, it uh, like when I was sitting there explaining to my son all these different factions, I was like, "Man, this like perfectly describes American politics because you have you have the political figureheads who seem to be in power, and then you have the the corporate entities that are actually in power, and then you have these other shadowy figures who are poking and pulling strings and really moving things along in this particular timeline that they want to see happen." It's like it's really. People need to read more fiction. Yes, I, I completely agree. That's why I'm trying to like write more fiction too in my in my Substack. Because talk about that because I have been looking at those. Yeah, um, I guess part of it's like wanting to differentiate myself between I guess I don't want to call it noise because you can find a lot of just like political commentary essays and a lot of good sites like Mises Mises.org. You find all. I mean such great articles i mean if you're more like paleoconservative go to chronicles great magazine these are all like i said political commentary political essays all this stuff and i don't see enough fiction being created and just enough like cultural groundwork being created and things that create uh like cultures are myths or stories that we tell each other or art that's done and i that's that's a void that i'm like kind of hoping to fill with some of my fiction writing um i know like i see the numbers too like i see people are still more interested in the 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 spicy headlines we don't need a libertarian moment than they are the the short story that i write but that's still not gonna necessarily stop me from writing it no i'll do both for for as long as i can because I do want to to create a better culture like we were talking about earlier because the one that we have now really kind of sucks. And let me let me ask you this. Sorry, I'm not trying to interview you here though. <laughs> you're the interviewer. Uh, are you st- you're still like involved in the the Mises caucus? Correct. Yes. Okay. I saw someone referred to it as a cultural movement the other day. And I'm trying to figure out how like where the the culture like i said are stories myths customs religion i know that's a big big controversy lately um the lack of sort of christianity and and libertarianism or that it is without christ um and i more or less agree with that so i guess when someone says that the mises caucus is a cultural movement what exactly do you think is they're referring to there I think, generally speaking, uh, most of the most ardent supporters and proponents of the Mises Caucus, uh, the idea of the like the cultural movement behind that is they're trying to they're trying to promote the the message of the Libertarian Party and what should 
legitimately be a liberty movement in a way that people are going to actually hear it, understand it, and realize, oh shit, that's something that I'm actually interested in. Because the Libertarian Party as a whole has not presented that message for, I, I don't know if in my lifetime. Yeah, I know. I agree with that, yeah. And so that's kind of the the idea behind the like the cultural movement thing is to present the ideas of libertarianism in a way that people aren't seeing the reason bullcrap. They're not seeing the Cato bullcrap. They're not seeing the, uh, you know, anti- David must book. be anti-racist tweets, like the, right, the right. terrible messaging stuff. They're actually seeing principled ideas that they could get behind in their in their practical everyday lives and mm-hmm. as much as like matt uh erickson poo-poos the idea make liberty for themselves um I, like i've talked about it probably on four straight episodes but we've got a very nice garden in our backyard we've got chickens goats uh like we are you know working in working towards being as self-sufficient as possible uh i hunt we you know we we have the means that we don't necessarily have to be involved in uh you know polite society and and getting more people to kind of look at at the way that society is currently structured especially with the way that the government handles it and taking individual steps to divorce themselves from having to be intimately connected to that on a daily basis. I think that's, I, for my part, I think that's what I, I see it as. And I, like, I, I hope that that uh, is something that gets traction. You're creating structure for your own family. Right. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, no, I, I, I I'm not all about the political movement side of it. Like if they run for president, cool, I'll vote for him. But I, I like I, I don't see other than focusing exclusively on extremely local races. I don't see this political side of it being mm-hmm. successful. And if it is successful, that'll be to its detriment. Like th- that puts the crosshairs squarely on everybody involved in it. Uh, right. I may have just been irrationally like butthurt over saying the word cultural movement because I don't. I think maybe this guy and I have different ideas of what like necessarily cultural movements are. So like I said, like I look at like stories and and customs and like religion as what, as like the groundwork for culture. And then maybe whatever political movements arise out of that are like subsets. The stories are an incredibly important part of culture. Uh, And I'd like, I do read your your Substack, and I do read your uh, uh, the the not the political commentary directly stuff. Like, and mm-hmm. I like your story that you've been doing. Uh, I haven't. I just noticed there's a part eight, and I haven't read that yet. Uh, but I, I do really enjoy like that stuff because there is a really important cultural aspect to telling stories that are not necessarily uh directly based in real world events like they they may tie to it in a roundabout way but it tells a story that uh like draws people in and they they get those Mm -hmm. ideas without feeling like they're being bombarded by the same shit that they're getting hit with from mainstream media on a daily basis yeah i know yeah I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I have a I have a great appreciation for the fact that you're doing that. Like, I, I wish uh, the whole reason I started doing this is because I would write like long articles and stuff, and like nobody reads. So, so I was like, all right, if I can do like a five minute rant video saying the same thing that I wrote this long drawn out piece about, and people actually pay attention to that. So I, maybe I'll give that a shot. <laughs> yeah, I've honestly thought about like starting a podcast it's not me talking it's me just reading the stories that are right that way people would actually like listen to them or see them or even know that they exist because like you said that well, they don't read a lot so i was like am i working against myself are people actually like going through and reading these but even if they like i'm also like the story 
that you reference, like I will be turning into a book too. So if people don't read it now and they want to read it later, then that'll be available too. So that's awesome. Well, you got anything you want to uh, kind of plug or talk about or, or anything else? So we'll, uh, we'll kind of close it out on that. No, I don't think so. Um, actually, one more thing. <laughs> you told me uh, a little bit you had gotten in from a run, and you, you're like a runner, right? You run every day. I think we talked about this on Twitter yeah. the other day. How long have you been running? Oh, gosh. So I, I ran track in high school, and then uh, after I got out of school, I would still run a little bit. Mostly I played a lot of basketball all through college, and then uh, – as I got older and, and moved, uh, I didn't have a basketball community in places that I was at, but I still wanted to do stuff. So I just started running, especially because a lot of the places I live were uh, fairly rural. So I could get out and like run, run back roads and stuff. So I've, uh, I ran infrequently for about six years. And then here over the last three or four years, I've really started doing it uh, consistently. And I don't, I don't push super hard. I do, I do five kilometers every day uh, for the most part. And I get in the 25 to 27 minute range uh, for my, for my 5k. Uh, I used to be able to get it around 20 to 22, but I've gotten, I've gotten a little older and my knees and ankles don't quite work as well as they used to. So I've, uh, I've had to cut my pace down a little bit, but like, I still, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going out trying to win any races. Like I do it because I like, I like running. Yeah, no, I, there, I do have a point to asking this. Like I got into running probably like, I think four years ago. Like I was like you, I played sports in high school, mostly basketball. Um, and then I got out of high school and as people do, they kind of let themselves go. I didn't get like, I didn't balloon or anything, but I got out of shape and I was weak and all this stuff. Um, actually like had sort of like a personal, so I got married and I got divorced after like three years or whatever. So I had like a mental health thing and I started running to help improve my mental health because I like kind of lost, it was like unhealthy weight loss initially. And I was like, well, I've lost all this weight. I might as well like keep this up. And so that's when I started running and I'm kind of the same as you where I, it's, three to five miles a day probably sometimes i'll just do time instead like 30 minutes or an hour because I, I hate always having to like compete with myself but i'll do races from time to time too but i think it's uh it's interesting that we the reason i know this is because you're in this argument on twitter with this <laughs> it was a lady right over uh, over the vaccine and i think it's cool that you could go to that because i see a lot of libertarians say they're talking shit about the the injection and they look like they haven't walked in like three years and i was like all right look if we're going to be against the vaccine and pro like personal health and we're going to have to start like looking the part too like exemplifying what taking care of your own health um means so i appreciate you taking care of your own health and i try to do the same as well so that's yeah that's the reason i asked for people who don't know what you're talking about she said she uh, she said that I could get COVID as many times as I wanted and destroy my lungs. I was like, uh, I, I run three to five miles every day. Like my legs are going to give out before my le- before my lungs do. But you know, okay, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, no, that was great. You know, you, the, went, you went a lot longer on that argument. I was just like, <laughs> I like would wake up and I'd have like eight notifications, and it's just you and her just replying to each other. It's like, uh, he's I still going. I had a lot of fun with. I had a lot of fun with her. She was entertaining. Uh, she, I noticed that. She didn't. Uh, she didn't propose anything necessarily groundbreaking that I hadn't already heard from like literally every other mainstream media right. source out there. Right. But, yeah, you know, all the at least she came with. At least she brought it with vigor, and you know she was willing to to have a uh, polite back and forth with me. So like it didn't immediately devolve into name calling or insulting my intelligence right. or anything. I, yeah, I fear that I actually insulted her because like, and I didn't mean that to be a like my closing remark. I didn't mean it in a sexist way, but uh, I'm sure it probably came off that way because I, I said that's literally not how science works but you're real cute so we can keep talking and I, I meant her argument was cute and that it amused me not that she physically was cute like I, 
and she's not really my type, but you know, uh, I have a wife as yeah. well. But I'm sure that's the way it came. Like I'm happily married, but <laughs> right. right, like I, I don't mean you're cute. I, I meant that your argument was cute, and I find it entertaining to, uh, you know, like it's like arguing with a little kid. Like the, they don't know any better, so it's fun. Uh, but if you say that, then you're definitely going to get uh, <laughs> canceled. So. <laughs> but yeah. That was a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on. And uh, next time I'll be a, next time I'll be a little bit more structured. And we'll we we'll actually let, let's let's do this again and like really focus on the uh, like the fiction the fiction stuff because okay that created I see I didn't expect I didn't intend to talk about that stuff but then because of things that with my dad being here and stuff my son and I've been watching today with Dune and and uh, Foundation like it just kind of has been in my head and you know you do the fiction stuff too so it was like it seemed like a perfect topic to bring up so let, let's do this let's plan to do this again and we'll focus like exclusively on that stuff and really dig into telling the stories absolutely let's do it like after uh after the movie so we can sort of review that too that would be awesome yes yes definitely all right sounds good we got a plan for the next time around as well so thank you very much for joining me and uh have a good one yeah thank you so much justin 